Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Vuk and this is Anablock Podcast. This show is exploration of software, technology, ideas, business, and science. This podcast is brought to you by Anablock. Anablock is a system integrator and Salesforce consulting partner. We specialize in Salesforce implementation work. Our team has expertise in solution architecture and custom development. You can reach us by visiting our website, anablock.com. In this episode, my guest is Valerio Chang. He's part of the customer success team at Gearset. Gearset is the complete DevOps and release management software for Salesforce. Gearset specializes in helping teams of admins and developers to make rapid and reliable releases with metadata and data deployments. Valerio and his team help users adopt continuous integration best practices and get the most out of their gear set subscriptions. Enjoy the conversation. All right, great. So Valerio, thanks again for uh, being on Anablock podcast. Um, Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, we were introduced by some of your colleagues Um you know, part of the reason I guess that I met your colleagues is because uh, we're working here with a client in San Francisco uh, and they are using Gearset. And I had a experience with Gearset with probably more than one uh, client over the last few years. It's, it's an amazing product. So I thought it would be a great idea to have someone from Gearset and, and you volunteered and I, you know, want to thank you again for, for doing that and, and uh, giving us some of your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. So maybe let's start off with, um, you know, uh, having like a quick or, you know, brief intro maybe about um, your current position with Gearset and then maybe afterwards we can uh, dwell a little bit deeper into your professional background and then also, uh, you know, it, it, uh, talk a little bit more about Gearset uh, company and the product itself. So maybe if you want to tell us, like, what do you currently do or today, what do you do and what's your position with, with Gearset? Sure. Um, so I joined Gearset exactly three years ago, in fact, in 2018 um, as the first member of the customer success team. So when I joined at that time, um, the company had a product, had some customers, and prior to that, all the conversations with customers had been done by engineers, by our CEO. Um, there's, a, there's a small sales team at that stage, but we didn't have anybody dedicated in conversing with customers to find out what their needs are, to help them get on board, um, even after the onboarding, to continue to grab feedback from them and to help them make the best use of the product. So that's when, uh, as my CEO would say, uh, a Valerio-shaped hole happened to appear in Gearset, and I, that's when I joined. Um, so I started as a one-person team there with my manager, and basically I just started conversing and talking through customers. At the beginning, it was mostly using kind of the in-app chat, um, and then it kind of grew from there to include um, uh, screen shares, sometimes phone calls. Um, and at that time, so we're based in the UK at that time, okay. I had a lot of support from other members of the team. So more engineering team were helping me answer questions. Um, but in the three years that I've been with Gearset, this team has grown. Um, now we have close to, um, depending on how you define the team, uh, we have maybe 10 or 12 people who do the same role as me. So we now have a team that can um, speak to customers. And with that, we're able to extend our coverage. So we used to focus mainly on UK hours, but knowing that a lot of our customers are in the United States and in the American time zone, um, we've managed to now extend the coverage uh, that we are available online to um, basically what the it, in the US, in the East Coast would be kind of like a nine to five coverage for that side. So where you are in the uh, in the Pacific side, um, yeah, that has been extended to maybe midday. So you will catch somebody through half of your working day to contact us. Um, yeah. yeah, and our team just 
continuously help people get to know Gearset better um, and through, yes, screen shares or consultations. Um, we do a little bit of what I guess you call consulting. Um, okay. Yeah. So and, and that, that's, that's interesting. Uh, uh, thanks for, for sharing. And it's interesting because um, I, I believe a customer success manager, that's something that maybe has not been around in general in the industry probably for a super long time. I, I think might be like um, the first time I noticed those uh, types of positions was with Salesforce. I've been part of this ecosystem for over 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And um, can you maybe just tell us a little bit more exactly like what, I guess what you do and what what is really a customer success manager? What does it do for yeah. the clients and customers? Sure. In, in fact, when I first heard of the title, I was a bit perplexed. Um, I think it's a more of an American term than one we use okay. here in Britain. Um, and I had the same question for my family about what does customer success mean? And my friends sort of were unsure. Um, I think one way I really... In my research, I could kind of find a very good way of explaining it, where traditionally you have this idea of customer support and customer support or customer service um, is sort of associated with a cost of doing business. So after you get a customer, you need to support them and the customer support team or the customer service team is a cost that is sort of factored into as part of the sales process. Um, the slight nuance here with customer success is we try not to think of ourselves as a cost center, but we're also a revenue generating side of the business. So not only are we just delivering something promised, um, we're also continuously helping customers find out new features, find out new functionality, um, find new functionality that customers want and feed that back into the iterative cycle of releasing new features. And um, so we flip that kind of cost into a revenue generating thing. Um, and that I guess is one way to differentiate what customer success is. Okay. Um, the other thing I would kind of quite pride myself in is that in the role of customer success, not only am I there to answer questions um, about the product, but there is this continuous kind of feedback and transparency about what the product can do what the product cannot do. So we were very happy to say at the moment, this isn't something we do, um, but please tell me your use case so I can then document it and see whether there's a, another way to address this use case or to see whether there's another feature that we can develop or investigate to help you be successful. And that's where the success comes in, basically. We're here to help you make most of the tool to be successful and if we're not successful today, we're going to try to make it successful in the future as well. Okay, excellent. Thanks for explaining. Um, so maybe we can um, discuss now a little bit uh, specifically about the product offering uh, behind Gearset. Mm -hmm. I think that it's one of the really cool products, really cool tools that uh, is Probably if you're Salesforce, maybe developer, admin, you, I'm sure you have heard of it, at least for, for most of us. Um, can you just explain to us, uh, on maybe on a, on a start off on a higher level, what is Gearset and what it does? Sure. Um, actually, if you don't mind, I could give it a bit of explanation how we came to develop Gearset. Yeah, that would be um, even better. So the, the company Gearset... Um, we come, so the people who started the company come from a background of building development tools. Um, so when they started using Salesforce as a customer, um, they realized you know, there's a lot of. Do you know, I, I'm just curious now that you made that statement that they come from, a, I guess, maybe DevOps background or building DevOps products and yep. uh, software. What uh, I guess, I don't know if you can share or how much information you have, but what have they done prior to that? I'm just kind of curious, how did they 
transitioned from whatever they've done in the past to like a DevOps kind of product for Salesforce. Um, yeah, of course. Um, give me one quick second. Let me just check something. So sure. we, yeah, so the original people who started this all worked for another company that made tools um, that plugged into another big enterprise database system um, and helped users of that system use the tool in a more efficient way. Okay. Um, I, yeah, that tool has been on the market for a long time. I, I'm double checking if this is public information actually, mm -hmm. um, but that's the thing I need to double check. Um, but they all come from software engineering backgrounds themselves. Um, okay. so, so they were used to already um, this concept of DevOps, this concept of that the main tool itself may not give everything that the user may need. And therefore, they saw the kind of space in the market to create a tool to aid in that. Um, and that's why when they started using Salesforce, they noticed that using change sets to migrate metadata was really painful and had a lot of shortcomings. Um, and it's through that process that they said, okay, let's see if we can build something. And they did. And, and that's where we come from. So we come from, there was a need that we felt that impacted us a lot that we thought we could do better. And that kind of grew into the Gearset product and brand. Um, yeah. Excellent. Uh, so what has it, um, which pain point has it solved for Salesforce admins and developers? Yeah, so I think when we started using chain sets to migrate metadata, one was we couldn't really see what was happening. We were selecting particular bits of metadata. You send it over. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and there was no repeatable process. So I couldn't just go in and add another thing and try. You have to always start from scratch and build that chain set package from scratch. Um, the fact that there was no way of rolling back or version controlling. So once you deployed, the target changed. Uh, there was no way to go back to the previous state if there was an error, um, that sort of thing. And then Gearset developed ways to kind of look at the dependencies between different metadata in order to say, if you're deploying A, you need B as well, add B into the change set package. Um, and those are the things that start to develop. Um, and really is this idea of doing something that's repeatable, that's transparent, so other people can see what you've done, um, kind of factored into the, the core of the product. Okay. And uh, so the company is headquartered in uh, UK? That's correct. Um, so in Cambridge, um, basically maybe an hour or two outside the capital of London. Um, we've also opened this year uh, office in Chicago. So we do have okay. a presence in the US as well now. Okay, great. So uh, I'm guessing because I think most of the, well, I guess large, large percentage of Salesforce customers are based in the United States. Um, I think uh, EU comes or Europe is right after that, after the US. Um, how is the gear set spread geographically as, as a as a product based on the customer base is it uh do you see a uh, kind of i guess adoption all over the salesforce ecosystem or maybe geographically is it more present as you mentioned during the conversation a lot of the customer base is in the us or uh, i'm just yeah. wondering i think it roughly matches kind of mm -hmm. the the I guess the market share that Salesforce has in the market. Um, so you would only look into Gearset if you're a Salesforce customer. Um, so our kind of customer base is kind of all around the world because Salesforce is all around the world. Um, but you, you're absolutely right that um, predominantly in the US. Um, however, since I started my my job here, it's fascinating that there's this community of Salesforce users and admins and release managers. 
that span across the globe. I spoke to people in Japan, in Taiwan, uh, in China, um, sometimes in Latin America. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of challenges who we think Salesforce users are. Um, yeah, so the app predominantly is in English, but we've, we've got a, quite an international team here at Gearset that we're able to support in terms of explaining, in terms of onboarding um, to, to customers that may not necessarily use English at all. Um, okay. Yeah, but you, you're, you're absolutely right, it's predominantly Europe and the US mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and Canada. Okay, so uh, really the product is available anywhere in the world, as long as you obviously have Salesforce, um, there's no, uh, no barriers basically based on any geographic location or, or any country where this uh, user is uh, located. Uh, Absolutely. So, uh, great. So when you, um, you said you joined Gearset three years ago, I had a chance to uh, review your LinkedIn profile, and I did notice that you were prior to Gearset at HP uh, for a number of years. I think it looks like around eighty years or so. Yes, um, it was basically and, uh, a long career episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. You know, obviously HP is a massive company. I, I think by the latest headcount, it's somewhere around three hundred thousand employees. Um, I, I've had experiences throughout my career where I have worked for large corporations and then maybe switched or moved to like a startup or something like that. I'm wondering how was your experience going from company size of HP to Gearset, which uh, was probably three years ago much smaller than it is today. Um, how was yeah, that transition was for you? It was a lovely culture shock, if you will. Um, <laughs> so when I was at HP, we had a great team. We had, you know, a product that people used. Um, but I was in a particular area of the business where we were making enterprise software that was very heavily customized. So per perhaps in the three years, we would have only one customer that would have a big, massive revenue stream coming from it. Um, but that would require lots of customization. And we would basically tweak um, the core product uh, quite heavily to satisfy a customer's need. So maybe we would have, you know, throughout the, the, the eight years I was there, maybe three or four big projects. And then that way, each project was heavily customized. Um, okay. In contrast, Gearset here is a web application that's a subscription model. Um, and it's sort of like, uh, yeah, because it's web-based, we have to make the same bit of software for all on every of our users. That means when we consider what we do, it's a very different consideration. Prior in HP, I was able to make customizations that suited one customer. Um, but here at Gearset, we can't do that because every change we make affects all of our customers. Um, there's pros and cons to it, that means we have to be more holistic now in Gearset to think of if I put in this change, um, is it desirable for everybody or am I making the, just the change for somebody who requested it? And it makes the product slightly more wholesome. <laughs> um, we don't take that short-term view just to satisfy one customer to do something. Um, here we're more thinking about, okay, once I add this in, how will it affect the future? How will it affect everybody? Okay. And at uh, Gearset, you know, just looking at your website, for example, I do see a lot of large brands that are um, using your product. Um, how, you know, you deal in your current position, you work with a lot of, I'm guessing, also um, different companies or that are using the product itself. Yeah. Uh, how, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how much you can disclose, but like, for example, how easy is it to, to sell gear set to to a company that's using salesforce mm -hmm. uh, and you know it's uh <laughs> the reason i'm asking is because it's such a in my mind at least such a great fit for for what salesforce is lacking i'm i'm just wondering if other uh, 
you know, companies like other professionals that are working with sales, Salesforce can easily also see that that ease of of um, market fit really for for GearSet product in the whole Salesforce tech stack. Yeah, um, so our customers range from various industries. So can go from healthcare to technology to the public sector. Um, and I mean, sometimes we, we sell the software to consultants, individual consultants, to you know, companies that have their own internal teams. So there's a wide range. Um, your first question of how easy is it to sell, there's two aspects to it. One is um, we try to, we, we don't think about it as we're trying to sell you something. We sort of think about it as here, we've made something that we think really helps us when we are trying to do Salesforce deployments. Why don't you try it? So we give people a 30 day free trial that gives you all the possible features, every single feature possible for 30 days. So you really don't have to commit much in order to try it. Um, we don't take your credit card. We just, you know, you just log in. Anybody can create a trial without any commitment to us. And during these 30 days, we as a company support you in onboarding just the way we would if you were a paying customer. So that model of um, helping people use the product without very little commitment or friction is a great way to get people to try the product. um, And they will very quickly see whether it matches what they need or not. Um, So there isn't much cost to trying it. Um, the second part of this that we make it very easy to sell is that we use the same sort of data centers that Salesforce use because Salesforce is, you know, web app based. Um, the, the traditional question about whether it's on prem or not really doesn't factor it because if you've already trusted your data and metadata to an online platform such as Salesforce, why would it be any different to trusting us? to be able to move your metadata and data. Um, so all that is you know, rigorously checked and we have certifications to, to kind of back that up, um, but purely because the architecture is so similar to the way Salesforce manages theirs, it's not a hard um, argument to convince people because it's just so similar to Salesforce itself. Great. And uh, the Gearset has a lot of different features you know, everything ranging from, you know, your deployments, I'm sorry, your integration, data deployments, uh, and so on. What are some of the more popular features that uh, you have noticed your customers using? Sure. Um, so at the very, very beginning, the core of core, core part of the product is the metadata comparison and deploy. Um, so we started with that, um, basically looking to replace chain sets. And everybody who's used GearSet to make deployments have basically sworn off and said, no, we're not going to use ChainSet anymore because this is so much better. Um, So from there, we sort of developed tools to make rollbacks possible, to make version control possible. Um, A lot of my work is kind of helping people adopt version control and do source control as part of the development cycle. Um, So kind of convincing teams to use continuous monitoring, continuous integration, that sort of thing, all on the metadata side. So that's one part of the the offering. The the second part of the offering is we help move data as well. So having helped people, having had the experience of helping people move metadata around, we then started doing um, what we call sandbox seeding. So if you have lots of data in your production org and you would like to have a portion of that in your sandboxes to play with, to test, um, we help you move that data from any org to any org. So it doesn't have to be a related production org to a sandbox. Um, So if you're doing a merger, for example, and you want to move data from one system to another, um, we we can be used to do so. Um, And we also help you anonymize the data if you need to. So what we call data masking. Um, so if you wanted to test like an email marketing campaign without using real customer email, we're there to help you with that. So that's the second one, data deployment. The third kind of big feature. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
I was just going to ask about the data deployment. So really, you mentioned um, any work to any work. So really, it's um, you are specifically just talking about moving, migrating data between Salesforce orgs. So you would never, you don't have a technically a feature uh, that would enable you, for example, to move data from some external system into Salesforce itself. That's correct. No, we don't. Okay. It's purely okay. from Salesforce org to Salesforce org. Yeah, um, I, I guess a lot of people would. So when I think about change, when we think think about metadata and change sets, it's usually going from a sandbox to its kind of connected production org or within the same. I don't know what you call them, like a family of orgs. Yep. Whereas because of the API that we use, um, we, we there's no restriction. We can move data and metadata between any two orgs, related or not. Um, and are there yeah. any uh, limitations when it comes to, for example, number of rows, or maybe uh, that's not the best term for a Salesforce mm -hmm. database, uh, but uh, in general, number of records, mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature? Yeah. So on the metadata side, the limitation is basically the API limitation. Okay. <laughs> the Salesforce metadata API has limitations on how much we can retrieve in one go, how big mm -hmm. the deployment package can be. And we just have to adhere to that. We can't really go around it. We do clever things of like batching stuff so that you know we try to guess how big a package will be and be clever about it. But the hard limit is still the hard limit of how big the API allows it. Um, and on the data side, um, we have set a limit of 100,000 data records for any one object. Um, and the reason for that isn't really an API limit. It's because we know that when, from our experience, when you deploy data, um, there could be dependencies missing, there could be um, lookups that go wrong. So we just have less and less confident the greater number of records there are. And so we're happy to make the limit higher, but we set a limit there just to kind of have that conversation with the customer to say, are you sure that this is what you're doing? Um, like, are you comfortable working through these error messages if you do see so many error messages? Um, but yeah, we, we do set that limit purely from like a kind of expectation management side. But that limit is uh, for that specific transaction, meaning if you have a million records, you can do it in batches mm -hmm. of 100,000. Is that correct? Correct. So, okay. so Basically, if somebody comes to me and say, you know, I have more than 100,000, um, there's two ways about it. One, I can say, well, we, we have a feature to filter the data records. So let's say if you have data and if you can divide the data into four batches and all four of these batches are lower than the 100,000 limit, then just mm -hmm. use the field value to go, okay, in this batch, let's just do everything in the state of California. The next batch, everything in the state of New York, and then segregate them, them out. Um, and <laughs> I think it's one of these things where a lot of customers approach it as, I want everything to happen in one go. Um, yeah. I want all the data to go in one go, or I want all the metadata to go in one deployment. Um, whereas my experience tells me that it's much easier to debug and to iterate over and by doing small chunks at a time. So if you split it up into batches, it makes your life so much easier when things go wrong because then you don't have to find the needle in the haystack. You just find a needle within three or four other needles. Okay. Um, yeah. One of the things that you just touched on earlier is version control. Um, I think that has been one of the major pain points historically um, mm -hmm. uh, in the Salesforce ecosystem. Uh, obviously, over the last few years, there's a number of products that came out. Salesforce also launched um, uh, Salesforce DX. Mm -hmm. um, but what is your, um, or, or how, for example, a lot of companies today use GitHub, uh, try to have some kind of like a code review process in place before you deploy code from one environment to another, like from QA to UAT or from UAT to production, et cetera. Uh, how, how does Gearset fit into that whole picture where you are um, uh, managing like your your uh, version control in the Salesforce environment? Um, 
Ooh, good question. It's quite broad. Let, let me think about how I answer this. Um, so I think we internally in Gearset, when we develop our software, we use a similar method as we preach. So we adopt version control. Um, and because we adopt version control, it allows us to adopt continuous integration. And that's one of the kind of the bigger selling points by automating all of this um, for you. Um, so I guess if somebody was to approach us and go, I'm used to org to org deployments. So everything goes for sandbox to production. Um, I would generally go through the following process in terms of helping them adopt source control. Um, basically at the moment, if you do org to org deployments, um, this concept of the source of truth is very important. As soon as you have more than one developer or one admin, um, you need to agree where is your source of truth. Naturally, this is normally your production org, um, but when people are editing things directly in production and not going through testing, it, you start really easily getting to a point where you don't know what is your agreed version of what should be in production. Um, so, you know, I can go into production and just change something, but nobody else knows about it and I haven't tested it with everybody's features. So that's where I introduced this source of truth of it being inside your master branch of source control. Um, and then that's where we develop this concept of, okay, introduce the idea of source control, a master branch, getting all your metadata committed to it. And then here you have a tracked instance where everybody can review and revert back to a previous instance if necessary of what is the agreed metadata. Um, and that's when I start introducing the ideas of reviews, code reviews and pull requests. So you can agree with your team what goes into your master branch um, and build out a workflow of how to get metadata from your dev sandbox into your master branch. Um, and I guess once you have the master branch, really is easy to kind of sell the idea of continuous integration. So as long as you as a team agree what goes into the master branch, we can take care of the deployment for you. Um, you don't even need to lift a button. We can just automate that process where everything that goes into a certain branch gets deployed out to your testing org, gets deployed out to uh, your UAT org, and we can then automatically validate that to your production. Um, so people will quickly see the value of A, being able to review um, other people's changes. Um, two, they can quickly see the value of having a source of truth that's agreed upon, that everybody can see um, the, the changes step by step and revert them if necessary. And then the third step, the automation just takes away the human error side of it. Like you don't need yeah. to remember to push something to an org. Okay, interesting. And um, one question related to that is, so, you know, obviously today in, in most of the, um, I guess you can say enterprise environments, you know, uh, there is continuous, obviously, development, which can be most of the time um, in parallel, there's, you know, Apex you know, code being triggers being developed. And then there's also kind of declarative programming metadata like flows, process builders, et cetera. So when you are, when we're talking about continuous integration uh, and then also version control, are we, are uh, is Gearset managing sort of those uh, both streams of metadata, basically like the code and the um, declarative stuff or, uh, can you just tell us how it works? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the the main point here is that Gearset allows the comparison and deployment of metadata between org to org, org to git, git to org, or git to git. And the process looks exactly the same. That means if you're a Salesforce admin and you're familiar with the org to org side, um, you can use Gearset. That means if you're a Salesforce developer who's used to using Visual Studio Code to make changes um, and just writes Apex classes 
in, in code instead of inside the org, um, you can use Gearset to go from Git to an org. Um, and because the process, the user interface in Gearset looks identical, we actually, another big selling point um, is that we actually help the teams that have diverse experiences in their ability to code, to their familiarity with metadata, to be brought together and to see each other's work. So a developer without going into Salesforce org can see that an admin deployed, let's say a declarative change from an org into um, let's say source control. Um, and likewise, an admin can use Gearset as a platform to see the changes that a developer has made to an Apex class um, within Gearset. And it kind of brings everybody together and be able to see what each other are doing. Um, yeah. And it's that power of being able to see whether it's org to org or git to git um, in the same place. Um, that makes Gearset a really powerful tool for a big team that has a diverse range of experiences. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I've been working with a number of uh, enterprise clients that use Gearset, and you know, as I said in our um, during our early conversation, it's just an amazing product. Makes basically my life as a developer much easier, and it definitely helps like a broader team to coordinate their deployments and in general as you said like to have full visibility on which metadata changes are going through different environments mm. um, on one of the sort of use cases that i have seen before is obviously you know again speaking about kind of large uh, more complex salesforce orgs where we have you know code being pushed can be lightning web components apex then also maybe some flows, process builders, approval um, rules, et cetera. But then also, for example, we have scenarios where we are using like CPQ custom script, which is basically you know data stored inside of the specific uh, object. Uh, just out of curiosity, I have, based on your experience working with a number of different customers, um, I guess, how easy would it be to coordinate like these three different types of kind of deployments happening at the same time, leveraging your tool? Um, just to clarify, so for example, when you talk about CPQ, that's generally sort of like data rather than metadata, isn't it? Exactly, correct. Yeah. Um, so um, I guess the answer <laughs> is sort of, easily. Um, the okay. reason I say easily yeah, because it's a, it, it's a tool that has everything from metadata mm -hmm. to data in the same place. Um, so you, you can come to the same tool to have an audit history of whether people have changed the data or whether changed the metadata. Now, while the metadata, if it's changed, you have the option of rolling it back. Um, that doesn't apply to data, but the fact that it's changed will be visible inside the tool. Um, and yeah, it just really brings everything under one roof. It makes people who are involved in the process aware of what each other's doing. It makes the people who are not involved in the process to have a way of tracking and basically have an overview of what's happening. So, you know, if you make a change set deployment from A to B, your manager doesn't ever get to see that that there's no kind of overview of what's happened. Um, and actually, now that we've spoken about metadata and data, I sort of forgot to talk about the other big feature inside Gearset. Um, so from being able to deploy data from A to B, um, basically means we're able to read your data. Um, so we have also the offering of a third feature, if you will, of um, data backup. So data backup and recovery, which is starting to be a big part of what people care about in terms of disaster recovery, in terms of, you know, I've accidentally overwritten the data. I want to have a backup from a month ago, a day ago, a week ago to restore. Um, so that's also another um, element of what Gearset offers at the moment. Excellent. Uh, for some of the... Um, listeners who do not have um, experience with Gearset or are not familiar with Gearset, they're probably wondering, uh, what does it take to 
implement, install the the gear set product to integrate it with Salesforce. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, if I'm a Salesforce admin or a developer, yeah. uh, you know, what level of effort does it is it does it take to really be able to use and, and do these different types of deployments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um so I would say the first time I've ever used GearSet and played around, I managed to move metadata from one org to another within five minutes. Um, so one thing to note, I guess, compared to a lot of the competition out there, um, we are a standalone product. You don't need to install us into anything. One, you don't need to install us onto your desktop. Um, it's web-based, so nothing okay. to install. Um, Second, we don't install into your org. So some some competitors will have a managed package that alters your metadata and data in order to help you move things around. And we think that is quite an intrusive way of um, helping you. So whether you basically, whether you use Gearset or not, you wouldn't be able to tell from the org itself. So we don't go into your org and make any changes. Um, so that makes it very easy for people to try it out and adopt it without it impacting other people in, in the organization. The fact that it's web-based allows us to iterate and update the app. So we update the app twice a day. Um, so if our customers give us feedback and say, you know, could you add this feature or this doesn't work, we can get that release out very quickly because it's a web-hosted um, application. Um, and yeah, the I guess the sort of big selling point of GearSet is that we make the UI so simple and clean and easy to use um, that, you know, it's so easy to pick up regardless of your prior experience. Um, We invest a lot of time into the user experience, into the user interface, um, just to be able to have a tool that's easy to pick up. And I guess one of the challenges is that with everything Salesforce, there's so much complexity and so many additional functions. And sometimes for us trying to, let's say, um, hide all the extra functionality in a place that's sensible so that people can find it, but also not overwhelm them when they start using the product is, I guess, one of the interesting challenges we have. Interesting. Um, One thing also I wanted to check with you is, you know, one of the very common questions that I get from my clients is really data security. Um, mm-hmm. Considering the fact that obviously, you know, you have a feature that enables data migration yep. uh, from um, one work to another or sandbox to sandbox, etc. cetera. Uh, can you just maybe uh, touch on that a little bit? Just tell us like, how is the data um basically treated during the migration process? Are there any specific potentially laws like GDPR or CCPA that might have any type of impact on on this? Or if you can just maybe give us a little bit of information about general data security. Sure. So I guess I have to emphasize that. So our tool deals with metadata and data. um, And a lot of our customers only use the metadata portion. And that it doesn't really touch on your data. So that, that's one side. But of course, if you're a, a data customer, um, your question would be, where do we store our data and, and what sort of securities built around it? Um, and I guess we have various different bits of certification. I think the most prominent one is the ISO 27001 uh, um, certification that kind of guarantees a lot of that. Um, we have in- encryption, so whenever we communicate with your org in order to grab the data, that's encrypted, um, and and you hold the master key, so you can delete the master key at any point in time, so that we can no longer decrypt that data and access it, um, and that's available at, at any point in time. Um, yep, we support like we we look at GDPR, so if any in the backup of the data that we hold for you, um, we give users the ability to delete any part of that data if they wish. So if there's a user that no longer wants to be remembered in the data backup, we have the feature to to do that. Um, And I guess the other answer to this is it's all 
hosted in the Amazon Web Services data centers that Salesforce uses. Um, so if you trust your data to Salesforce, um, a, a big bunch of the hosting infrastructure is similar to, to Salesforce. Um, and yet, because we treat, so we take the data from healthcare professionals, from um, lots of big companies, we have lots of accreditations. So the okay. HIPAA that you mentioned, the SOC 1, SOC 2, SOC 3, all of that is, um, yeah, is, is hopefully um, uh, enough to, to convince customers of, yeah, our reliability in that sense. Great. Uh, are you able to share with us anything that is uh, on the horizon as far as like new releases go any any other new cool features coming up or um mm -hmm. something yeah, that maybe is being enhanced currently yeah um so i guess the last big enhancement we made was basically uh, announcing and releasing the data backup feature and a lot of work is going to that in terms of expanding um the different types of um, data records supported um this year, we are focusing on a big piece that I am able to reveal <laughs> at, at this point. So Giesa had a summit last week, um, and it was revealed that we're going to do a lot of work in terms of helping enterprise customers visualize where their changes are. So specifically, we, we have this um, concept of a pipeline. Um, so if you sort of imagine a pipeline going from your dev environment to your test environment to your UAting environment, you have multiple environments going from, let's say, left to right, and you want to be able to keep track of where each feature is. Um, so as long as you adopt um, version control, uh, we can leverage the information from that to help you see. Um, so. For example, I have this pull request that has this feature, and that's gone from dev into my testing environment. Um, at the moment, there's no way for somebody who isn't intimately aware of the pull requests, the process of that code, to know where that feature sits. But we want to make it possible to expose that so that everybody in the team can see which feature is at what stage of the testing cycle and which feature has made it to production. Um, so that, say, one day somebody reverts a feature out of UAT and back into just the testing environment um, that is visible to the whole team. So basically, when you can click on each environment and you can have a list of features that have recently been added to it, um, and we call that the pipeline view, basically have a visual aid in helping the team know where your features are. Um, and we really want this to target enterprise customers who have big teams, um, who really need to communicate visually uh, what features are available at which org in, in your development pipeline. Um, so we kind of announced that, and I think that's what we're going to be focusing on a lot this year in terms of, um, yeah, helping big teams see where features are. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds very interesting. I you know that's one of the things that I've noticed working with a number of different companies is that that's where a lot of these dev teams struggle is to be able to uh, monitor different deployments based on like different um, features and then different branches. So I think that that'll be extremely helpful. Um, sort of on, on the same topic is that obviously you have become you as, as um, probably the person, but then also as a company have become well experienced uh, when it comes to uh, version control and, and deployments in general, not only obviously that you're doing it internally, but also you're talking to a lot of uh, world-class companies that have large enterprise teams that are doing these types of things. Uh, do you have any advice in general to give to the audience or are there any maybe best practices documents available on your website or anything you're able to share? Yeah, um, I guess that the cardinal rule here is to start small. <laughs> okay. uh, like, um, so we sort of alluded to this before, in the same way you don't want to deploy 
a package with a thousand components or a million rows of data in one go. I think it's the same way in, in adopting source control and continuous integration. Um, it's very tempting to go, okay, I'll source control everything and I want everything to be automated tomorrow. Um, practically, that is hard. That is very hard. First, you need to get your team onboarded. Um, you want to work out the quirks and the kinks of how the metadata API presents information to you. Um, so one of the kind of, I guess, most helpful bits of advice I can give is start small. Let's say start by just source control your custom objects. So there's no point source controlling, let's say your permissions, if you don't have your custom objects inside your repository. Um, so for example, there's no point source controlling your translations if you don't have the objects. Um, and I would start, yeah, basically at the smallest level if you can, and let's say just take all your custom objects into your repo, um, get that continuous integration branch, the, the, the strategy and the workflow set up, but just for custom objects and wait until you're comfortable with this small subset of metadata. Um, and then knowing how it flows end to end, try to add a custom field, see how that process works before adding in all the other metadata types. Because once you know how one metadata type works, it's actually much easier to have confidence in the process. And when you add in more bits of metadata in through your deployment process, um, you will have more confidence in that. And if errors do occur, you would, um, you wouldn't be so alarmed by it. <laughs> so, you know, initially when you adopt this continuous integration process, if you put everything in it and it gives you a hundred errors, that will put you off because you go like, well, this doesn't solve me any, save me any time. Um, but if you start by doing little by little, you work out what this error means, you know how to resolve it or how to work around it. Um, then building up that confidence makes it much easier and you're no longer working with a hundred errors. You're kind of looking at individual errors to really understand what's going on in your metadata and your pipeline. Um, so, uh, sorry, that's one, one big thing that I can talk about, but Gearset does um, publish a lot of our um, recommendations. So if you go to docs, plural, uh, docs.gearset.com, um, we have written a lot of um, documents about best practices. Um, and so we're sort of building a tool that fosters the adoption of this best practice. Um, and we sort of urge people to kind of say, don't worry about the end of where you want to be, but we outline a journey. So we have this idea of a, a steps to adopt. So you want to go from A to B before you go to B to C, for example. So make sure you have one step and we kind of, part of our role is to guide you through that process to adopt all these different tools, um, to adopt continuous integration. Uh, and we want to make a tool that kind of heavily leans towards this best practice. Um, so we, we, we have a heavy opinion on how you should set it up, but we're happy to listen to different ways. So every company will have slightly different workflows they want to take, um, but the tool will be kind of optimized if you take a certain approach. Um, and, and I guess our team is here, not only to provide you the tools, but we'll consult with you, we'll talk to you. Um, we have a team of um, customer success managers that help you through the process of adopting this. Um, so not only do we want to be a tool that helps you move metadata from A to B. We also like proud ourselves to be um, the DevOps experts for release management in Salesforce. And I think that's, yeah, that, that's our goal there. That's very interesting. And uh, one uh, just kind of maybe final question. I know you have, um, um, uh, we're kind of at the end of the hour, but I'm wondering, like, based on your experiences and what you've seen so far in the industry, uh, is better to have more frequent or less frequent releases? Meaning, like, if like a shorter release period versus, like, I don't know, like two three month release period. Um, this is actually a very interesting question. Um, so, 
I come from a team where we have the luxury that we've been set up in a way that we can release really often. And the benefits of that um, are really short feedback cycles. So if a customer says, you know, I would like this to change, we can try something, push it out and get their feedback on it. And the very next day they can tell us, no, this doesn't work. And then the next day we can try something different. So it lends itself to experimentation. Um, that means we don't have to build one mega feature in one go, release to a customer, let them see whether it works or not. Because by then you've kind of invested so much time into building this big project. Um, but we might very much prefer this idea of a minimal viable product where we release a little small bit of the feature, see whether this works. If it does work, then build upon it. So we kind of are iterating. Now I understand not all customers, especially inside the Salesforce ecosystem, have that luxury. Um, people want to know that things aren't changing while they're using the system. Um, so I also understand that there is the need for sometimes very long projects, sometimes very long, in, in this case, feature branches that only get released at the end of this cycle. Um, but yeah, heavily, I would say, if you have the luxury and if you have the um, kind of set up that you could release more frequently, I would heavily advise towards that. Um, but yeah, I under understand the business needs. I understand there are certain other restrictions that make that not as uh, possible. Um, but yeah, we're, we always try to help customers in talking them through about basically the benefits and trying to find out exactly what is blocking so them. Do you think reducing. like from the perspective of, of maybe like, um, let's say managing merge conflicts and doing metadata deployments. So basically more from a perspective of a DevOps team environment, would it be, would it have less overhead if you have, you know, like a weekly or biweekly release versus like a monthly I don't know if you have seen or have any metrics working with different customers. If, you know, uh, I, I guess where I'm going to is like, if we have a team, let's say of 10 people, like we will be spending less time on, on managing the deployment itself. Um, if we do it, you know, weekly versus monthly. Um, so I know that if your team is, communicating with each other, the frequency of this deployment isn't the biggest problem. Okay. I think the biggest problem is when, let me think of a scenario where I'm developing a product and when I start the development, I will have a baseline. So whatever is in my master branch as, as, as the baseline of my development, um, the longer it takes me to push out this feature, the more likely that the master branch and therefore production has moved away, i.e. more of my team will have added more things to the master branch that potentially could conflict. Therefore, the shorter the cycle of me adding, let's say, a custom field or changing an Apex class, the shorter it takes for me to get this out, the less likely there is the chance of a conflict of somebody else changing something. So this, this drift between the, the systems is what I'm trying to avoid. Um, but if the case is the whole team only release once a month, then that's not as big a problem. Really the problem now kind of moves away from production org to your integration org, because in integration, you're most companies will have an integration org where people are constantly adding new features to it until you know they have a release window and they code freeze and they, they push whatever is in that integration org out to production. But the same principle applies in the integration org. That the longer you the longer between you clone a baseline to when you add it back into the integration uh, branch, um, that's when the divergence can happen. So yeah, it kind of goes back to reinforcing this idea that if you can get your release or your, your feature branches to live as short as possible, that would always be better than longer. I mean, at the moment, there, 
I don't see any advantages of it being longer. <laughs> Got if, it. If that makes sense. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, and Valeria, thank you very much again for being a guest on this show. Uh, this was very informative. Uh, again, I'm a big fan of Gearset and I strongly recommend it to every company and organization that's currently using Salesforce. And thank you and have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, evening. No problem. Thank you very much. I, I would just like yeah. to add that you know, if anything I said in this podcast kind of um, you would like to respond to, um, as Gearset, we're very open to talking to potential customers or potential users. So you'll see that on our website, we have a little in-app chat widget at the bottom right of our any page that you use. Um, and we welcome anybody, really anybody, even if you're not a user, to, to ask us questions, to give us feedback. If you have any questions about what I said, if it doesn't make sense, or if you don't think I'm right, um, we would like to foster this open communication to see whether I can improve my understanding or, or change what um, my, my stance. I'm very much open to being challenged. And if somebody tells me I'm wrong, I'd love to hear about it and, and kind of understand their points of view. Um, so yeah, give us a go and uh, feel free to contact me or my team. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and the website itself is gearset.com. Thanks everyone G for listening. Yep. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to just spell that G E A R S E T.com. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you.